Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Good day, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. This episode is featuring Mark Murphy. He's the president CEO of the Green Bay Packers, an organization I know so well for my time up there. A lot of changes in Packerland over the past couple of weeks. If you've been paying attention, Ted Thompson, general manager, into more of a senior advisor role. New general manager, Brian Gutekunst, Goody as we called him. He was a scouting director there for years, knew him well. He cut his teeth on the southeast region. Elliot Wolf, an astute evaluator, son of Ron Wolf that I know so well. He's on to Cleveland. Uh, Russ Ball, the administrator, stays in his spot. And then you just see things sort of developing towards Murphy, where he now is going to hire and fire the coach. That's different than the past. He's going to have Mike McCarthy report to him, as well as the general manager, Brian Gutekunst. So maybe the most powerful role that a CEO in Green Bay has had. And we are sort of in a position where Mark Murphy now is closer to being a quote-unquote owner in the NFL than he ever has been. I sat down with Mark during the season. So I was up in Green Bay for a visit for a speaking engagement Sat down with Mark Murphy for a wide-ranging conversation. We talked about his past, how he came to be, going from player to management, his role at the Packers, how he looks at things like social protest, how he speaks for the organization, dealing with Aaron and his comments, uh, supporting Kaepernick. All of those things in a wide-ranging discussion kind of breaking down what's in behind, what's inside. Mark Murphy, CEO, president of the Green Bay Packers, now with some new added responsibilities as the most powerful CEO in Packerland for quite a while. So enjoy it. My sit down with Packers CEO president, Mark Murphy. Good to see you, Mark. Always good to be with you and be back in Green Bay. Yeah, well, welcome back. I know, uh, you know, get back often, so it's, uh, it's great to have you here. Yeah, it's ironic. I was back in Green Bay the past three years, and it just worked out. Each game was Seahawks yeah. and, uh, and wins, of course. Yeah. Um, I followed, before we even get to the Packers, I followed you, I have to admit, maybe you're a little older than me, but not much. But I'm a diehard Washington Redskins fan growing up, grew up in D.C., Chevy Chase, Maryland, moved to the city, and uh, you were a safety that I rooted for on the Redskins. And then I understand uh, you went to law school while with the team or, or after the team? No, I actually uh, I got my MBA while I was playing at American University. Okay. And then uh, when my career ended, I'd been accepted to law school. I ended up, uh, I went to Georgetown, I went uh, to law school in the evening, and I worked during the day at the Players Association. Okay. It took me, it took me about four years. Yeah, and we both are graduates of yeah. Georgetown Law School, that's right. So working at the PA, uh, how did you get into that after playing? And, and sort of when you went to the PA and were going to law school at night, did you envision sort of working on the player's side in sports law? Is that where you saw your career going? Well, um, you know, go back a ways. I'd kind of grown up around labor relations. My father was uh, okay. director of labor relations for a steel company in Buffalo. Um, and then when I was with the Redskins, I was um, starting in my third year in the league, I was the Redskins player rep. So I was a player rep. I was actively involved in the union, uh, you know, the last six years of my career. 
I was uh, the vice president of the became the vice president of the union. I was on the bargaining committee. So, and those were some very interesting times. You know, in '82, uh, had the long strike, and right. I was very involved in that. I was, and because the um, because of the NFLPA headquarters in Washington D.C., I think that allowed me to be a little more involved. Right. Um, you know, particularly in some of the bargaining sessions. So it was a, it was a great experience for me. And then when you went to law school. You graduated four years, as you said. Yeah. And then what? Uh, graduated uh, from law school, and um, you know, I, uh, I I was a little older, I think, than you know most okay. graduates, uh, and uh, had uh, was fortunate enough. I had uh, a great opportunity from the Justice Department, and I worked at the Justice Department for about four years. I was in uh, an area called Federal Programs and uh, worked for the civil division, and most of my work was defending government agencies that had been sued. And, you know, when you work for uh, the government, you know, whether it be state, local, or federal, um, kind of the trade-off is you, you make a little less money than you would, right. uh, you know, in a, in a private firm, but you get a lot more responsibility. And I was in court all the time, and I, I, I loved it. It was a great experience. Um, and, I, you know, I, I, I was kind of at a point, I think I'd been there for a little over four years, and I was either going to go into private practice and stay in D.C. Uh, or, you know, I'd stay, stay with the government and uh, had an opportunity uh, for my alma mater uh, to uh, go back to Colgate as the athletic director. And it's kind of a unique opportunity. I, I'd missed my involvement in athletics and uh, yeah, so that, and, you know, I was very fortunate. I look back on it now. You know, I was relatively young. I think it was in my mid-30s, had never, you know, been involved in athletics administration, at least at the collegiate level. So Colgate really took a chance on me and hired me as athletic director and really kind of changed the shape of my uh, career path. You know, a lot of players now, and I'm sure you come across players, they don't sort of see the next step. They see football as never-ending. They see it as we're invincible, we're going to play forever. Yeah. And don't think about these second or third careers. You obviously had a vision early on and sort of getting into sports and on a more legal business, different approach than a player. Was this something instilled to you? Like you said, you talked about your parents. Uh, was it something that you saw – as a goal beyond football from a very early age, or did you not know where the next step was going to be? Well, well, first of all, I didn't think football would last very long. I was an undrafted free agent. Right, and how long and, did it last? Uh, I played eight seasons. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the draft then was 12 rounds, so, you know, to not be drafted, uh, you know, of course there were fewer teams, but uh, I, I didn't, you know, it was kind of year to year for me. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I would say... Um, you know, we made, I made 21000 in my rookie year. Right. So, uh, you know, almost all of us either worked in the offseason or, uh, you know, went back and got degrees. Um, you know, the offseason programs were a lot less than they are now. Yeah. Right? You're right. You know, I think for the current players, you know, the money they make is great. But I, I think in, it's a blessing and a curse in some right. ways. The money's great, but... They don't think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's really, there's not certainly a... A direct incentive, you know, to have to go out and work, and I think it the transition is very hard, and it was difficult for me, and I felt like I was prepared, uh, but I think it's even more difficult for players now. It's just, um, and you know, we we try at the our, at the club level, at the league level, is you know, have all kinds of programs for players, and trying to help them make the transition into the league and then out of the league, and 
you know, the, the reality is that it, it always ends before you want it. Yeah. Uh, usually injuries are involved, uh, and, um, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's difficult, and it takes time to really kind of change your mindset that I'm a player to, you know, what am I going to be doing the rest of my life? Yeah, and I can speak to that because when I was here as well, you do try to get these players to think about it. We'd have kind of financial seminars, but then you don't want to endorse any group over another because you don't yeah. want to be in that liability. So, you know, I would think your background as a player has always guided you. I mean, is that safe to say first as an athletic director and now on the management side in pro sports? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the lessons that I learned, well, my experience was great. You know, I was fortunate. Yeah. I look back on it. I played for three great coaches, head coaches. Uh, two were in the Hall of Fame. Who were the three? I played for George Allen. Right. Uh, he, uh, it's, I'll make a very long story short. Uh, George uh, was the head coach when I uh, signed with the Redskins. And uh, he was known for trading away all his draft picks yeah. and uh, didn't really like uh, younger players, like veterans. And uh, so he, in order to sign players, especially younger players, uh, he went to a lot of different extremes, and <laughs> one of those involved hiding players out. Right. So he hid me out. Uh, the draft then was two days. When you say hiding you out. Well, you? so he called me, uh, first day of the draft, uh, called me up and said, Mark, we really like you. We want to draft you. going to fly you down for a press conference to announce that we're drafting you. <laughs> okay. And, okay. you know, they had, but they had no intention of drafting me. And uh, <laughs> so the hid, there was about five other players in the same category. And uh, they gave us a nice tour of Washington, D.C., and then as soon as the draft ended, came in and said, you know, here's your contract. You weren't drafted. Uh, take a minute, read it, and sign it. Did you have an agent? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> so, I, Meanwhile, I called back to my apartment, and uh, my girlfriend, who's my wife now, said, where the hell have you been? She goes, excuse, excuse me. All these other teams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, other teams are trying to get in touch with me. And the Redskins had given the hotel where I was staying instructions to say that there was no Mark Murphy staying there. <laughs> and we didn't have cell phones then, so uh, Sounds like I was Georgia. untouchable. Yeah. You know. It's funny, uh, you know, uh, so George, George's son, Bruce, is now the president right. of, uh, of Redskins. Uh, the Redskins. And I, I saw, and, and Bruce and I have known each other for years, and I, I just went up to him recently. We're always together in league meetings and I said, you know, Bruce, did your father ever tell you what he did to me on the, uh, the first day of the draft? And, and he said, oh, quick complaint. It worked out all right for you. So <laughs> yeah, it did work out all right. <laughs> no, so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, George Allen was, a, you know, obviously a great coach. And then, uh, then I played Jack for Jack Party, I think, uh-huh. two or three years. And then the last half of my career was with Joe Gibbs, right. yeah, which, you know, obviously uh, just an outstanding coach. So, you know, I, I learned a lot from football. Um, but, you know, it was different times, and I think the way I came into the league, I always felt like I needed to really focus on what I was going to do when my career was over. And, you know, actually, one of the, I thought one of the best things I could do was to, to get my master's, you know, to get a, a business degree. I was a finance major, or excuse me, an economics major at Colgate. I got my MBA in finance in American. And, you know, while I was doing that, um, you know, what really spurred my interest in law school was my involvement in uh, NFLPA Mm -hmm. and the collective bargaining, being around lawyers. And uh, I wish I had the foresight, uh, Andrew, you're probably aware there's the joint degree programs where you can get an MBA and a JD uh, (laughs) with a little little less less money and less years. (laughs) Less years. But I had the... uh, But, you know, I was... uh, 
And I mean, looking back on it, I think I think it's been both of them have been helpful to me in my career. Yeah. And what was? I, I'll just go back to what you're talking about with the Redskins. Two questions here. As an undrafted free agent, and that's a great story about the hideout. Yeah. <laughs> when did you know? What was the inflection point where you felt like, "Hey, I came in way below these guys, but I can play with them." And number two, what hallmarks of success did you see in either Allen or Gibbs or both that you said, wow, I see what it takes to be successful. There's something special about these guys, why they are so successful. So I'll, I'll ask you to comment on that. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good couple of good questions. I think, you know, in terms of uh, realizing that I made it. Now, Colgate, um, Colgate was a little different than back then. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to believe, Andrew. When I played at Colgate, our biggest rival was Rutgers. Wow. And, uh, and when, I, when I was at Colgate, well, there wasn't one AA, one mm-hmm. A. You know, we played uh, Army, Rutgers. We played a really challenging schedule. And uh, in my year and then the year after I left Colgate, Colgate was ranked in the top 25. And so it was. Wow. It was, at a, it was at a different level than it is now, but still, uh, you know, being undrafted, I knew I really had to prove myself. I, I think it was probably in one of the early uh, either we had scrimmages back then or preseason games, and um, you know, realizing that you know the, the pace of the game was not too fast for me, and that I could fit in and play well. Um, so it. it uh, but you know, I I, I also. I, I and I always felt like I kind of had a chip on my shoulder that right. I had to prove myself that um, I was good enough to be drafted, and so really I kind of carried that with me my whole career. That uh, you know even so I ended up starting my last six years in the league, and uh, yeah, you, know, you know look back on it, um, you know I wish I'd played a little longer. I would I wanted to at the time, but. As I look back on it now, it's probably the best thing to happen to me that my career ended fairly quickly. I'd been accepted to law school. I had a job opportunity with the PA, and although it was a difficult transition, I wanted to keep playing. You know, it's probably uh, the, worked out for the best. Could you? Have well, you know, the, oh yeah, I felt like I could have. And uh, the team wanted you. Uh, no, the team cut me. The team. Yeah. <laughs> no, I. Uh, but there are other. I don't wanna, yeah, I, I. Yeah, I was my. I. I believe that my uh, involvement in the players association uh, was a problem. Was not viewed as yeah. <laughs> as a positive thing. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and but, then uh, and then on Allen and Gibbs. What, what, yeah, there, you know, they're very different. I mean, if you, if yeah. you know, if you've met uh, either one, uh, yeah. but both great leaders, uh, great coaches. George, um, yeah, I would say a tremendous motivator, right. um, you know, great uh, in terms of rallying us together. And, you know, uh, and, and I, I would Gibbs, and I've taken little bits of each one of them in terms of, and I think anybody does, you know, people you're around and you see. Right. Um, you know, it's funny you, you brought up Gibbs. You know, I'm one of the real uh, fortunate parts of my job is I get the opportunity to interact with uh, so many of our former players, particularly the ones that played for Lombardi. And, you know, the, when I talk to Jerry Kramer or Dave Robinson, the experience they had, and uh, particularly Jerry, and I think Bart Starr talks the same thing, says the same thing, you know, 
they knew right away that things were going to be different. Mm. And when when Vince came in, I think uh, Bart tells a story that you know he ran out of the first meeting with Lombardi and he called Cherry and said, "Honey, we're going to start winning. Yeah. This guy knows what he's doing." Right. And it was kind of the same way with Gibbs. Really, that you know this. This is uh, this is somebody that really uh, really gets it, um, and you know Gibbs got off to a, he got off to a tough start. Yeah, we started at one five, and but you know we kind of weathered that, and then you know the end up winning the Super Bowl the next year. So it's yeah, I mean something uh, Bobby Bethard saw in this yeah. young what assistant, not yeah, even, not even no head coaching experience. Kind of same thing with Lombardi. You know he yeah. had no head coaching experience, but you know with Gibbs, uh, tremendous communicator. Uh, and, you know, um, you're probably aware of this term, uh, MWA. Right. And uh, he was great at that. You know, he would walk through the locker room. Explain that. Uh, MWA was management by wandering around, and that's a very <laughs> technical term. Right. <laughs> but uh, I utilize that. You know, I think, uh, you know, any any leader, any manager, you know, if, if you well, – everybody, almost every leader I know says, my, my door is always open. You know, coming right, in and seeing right, it. Right. The reality is, it's, uh, not. it's hard to walk. <laughs> well, it isn't always open. And number two, even if it is, it's hard for people to walk in and, and sit down and talk to the boss. But when uh, you get out and you walk throughout the workplace and you sit down with people and you talk to them at their office or where they're working, um, I, I've found it's it's invaluable. And you can find out an awful lot of what's going on within your organization. And, and Gibbs would do that. Um, you know, uh, throughout the whole week in the locker room. And I remember him sitting down next to me and saying, you know, Mark, what's the team thinking? Uh, you know, uh, talking about the game plan or the opponent coming up. And uh, yeah, it just it, that really it struck me as that that was pretty – because you don't see a lot of coaches no. that are that approachable. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like you've taken that here in your management style with the I've Packers. I've tried to, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not comparing myself to yeah, Joe. Yeah, Gibbs. I mean, but in terms of your but, you know, Joe Gibbs, here. yeah, I mean, Joe Gibbs. Uh, you know, you look at the success that he had as a head football coach in the NFL, and two different stints with the Redskins, Redskins right? right? Coming back and uh, and then the success he's had in NASCAR. It's you know, there's something there. It's not just yeah. luck. I mean, he's you know, obviously a very talented man. Yeah. I do want to want to pick up on that MWA because I think that's interesting for listeners yeah. and. When you do that, because we all have a lot of business leaders yeah. that listen to the podcast, it must be hard to put that person, whatever level, as mm-hmm. the boss, at ease. So if you mm-hmm. walk in and sit next to or have a lunch with someone, mm-hmm. how do you do that? You, you talk, I guess you talk about what they want to talk about. You get in, you know, ask some personal family, how are things you know, is there, there's a oh yeah, there's yeah, a tax I, I, to yeah, no, exactly, and you know, I think. Uh, the more uh, you can relate and right. empathize with your employees, um, you know, they, they see you more as a real person who cares not only about them as a worker, but right. particularly, like, as you said, if you ask them about, you know, their personal lives, the children, uh, you know, how, what, what, what kind of things are going on in their lives, um, I, I think it's, it's invaluable. Yeah. Bringing it here to the Packers, I felt this, and I'm sure you do kind of the magnitude of of what the Packers are. And, um, you know, I've always said this is the most autonomous franchise in the the NFL because of the lack of an owner and you and Ted and my role as as money and cap and contracts, now Russ Ball. Mm 
just seems like I always felt we were working for a public trust. Sure. And that acting always what's in the best mm-hmm. interest of these shareholders, these cheeseheads, this incredible Packer nation. You, you must feel the magnitude but not be awed by it. There's no question. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, you feel it. And, uh, and I, you may have uh, used the same term, or we really think of ourselves as stewards. Stewards. That, right. you know, we have this, you know, phenomenal uh, organization, and it's really, I, I think we all feel this sense of responsibility that we have to make this better than we left it. Right. And uh, so, you know, that's more broadly the gener- the organization. But specifically Lambeau Field, I mean, this is, uh, this is a jewel. You right. know, it's this iconic stadium. And, you know, you and I were talking earlier. I mean, you know, we, we, there are certain things you have to do to remain competitive. And, right. uh, you know, modern fans expect certain things right. in the stadiums. And uh, the kind of the, the, the challenge is can you do it in a way where it doesn't take away from what makes Lambeau Field special? Right. And, you know, that's what we've tried to manage and uh, – you know, for instance, you know, we about four years ago we added uh, just under eight thousand seats, and uh, so adding uh, adding the what we call our south end zone and making sure the seats and the addition looks like it fit in. They didn't right. want it to be, you know, look like a uh, you know a, a thumb just kind of sticking out and, and really not a part of it. And uh, we, and so we you know we we've worked with architects and. You know, the, and you were involved in it. The, the major renovation in 2003 right. was really successful, and that kind of transformed Lambeau Field from something that was used to, you know, on you know, 10, 10 days or 10 weekends a year to right. now, you know, now, you know, it's used year-round. And, uh, and now we, and we've really kind of built on that with the renovations that we've done to the atrium and now with Titletown right. that, uh, you know, trying to... Really, really make Green Bay even more of a destination. Have you been able to balance that? Obviously, the look has. You maintain yeah. the legacy, and you have the statues Lombardi and Lambeau, and all of the feel of the old Lombardi era, I guess. Yeah. But you have the modern uh, that really has mm-hmm. steroids from when I was here when we did the original renovation in the mid 00s. I guess the question is, Town. we have a Kohler Lodge, this beautiful mm-hmm. uh, Bell and Health, everything's coming in there. Resistance from the community, from stakeholders that feel like you're getting too modern. Have you encountered that? Uh, you know, I think uh, we, we've done an awful lot with the community. We had a lot of, had a, uh, a lot of open public meetings okay. with neighbors and... And, and quite honestly, we haven't. We, in terms of Title Town, we haven't gotten a lot of pushback. Um, and you know, really, what was there was, I mean, it was an old, you know, rundown Kmart, the big lots. Old, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a lot there, so I don't, I don't think anybody misses it. Um, the, what I hear the most about and, and get pushback on is our ticket pricing mm. and the expenses and. And this goes back away, and it's probably when you were here, but we've, you know, our strategy is, you know, we want to be right the league. Well, we've actually changed it. We're right below the league average. In tickets? In, in terms of our average ticket price. Okay. And the balance there is, you know, fans would love for us to be as affordable as possible. Right. And, but, um, you know, we also want to be fair to uh, the, our visiting owners because uh, under the league's revenue sharing, uh, visiting teams get a third of all the ticket revenue, and 
you know, we've, you know, people know. I mean, we've been sold out since the 60s. Right. We've got a waiting list of 130,000. <laughs> Uh, 2008 or 2009, we slipped to 30th in the league in the average ticket price. And uh, I heard from some owners that, you yeah, know, that, you know, that's, you know, so we've, so that's the balance. And uh, I, I think it's, it's worked fair and it's worked well. Uh, and, you know, I think I also hear from people that, you know, you, you know, you can't all be about money. You've got to make yeah. sure you're focused on winning. But as you know, you know, the more the, the more revenue generate, the more you can invest in right. you know facilities and coaching and things that give you a better chance to be successful on the field. So, kind of go, they go hand in hand to to a degree. And when you talk about average ticket price, what about average suite sales, corporate club seats? Is that factored in sort of in the same mix? Yeah, uh, although um, you know, I think in the on the on the suite side, I think. Uh, people realize that you're paying a premium. Right. Uh, I would imagine a better this experience, and those one are more of the lower club. suites. Yeah, compared to the uh, Dallas and New York. Oh yeah, and, you know, all the yeah. Chicago. Um, yeah, you know, our the advantage we have is um, you know the the size. Right. You know, we have, I think, we're on the upper end in terms of the number of suites. We have over 200 now, uh, and then the size of the stadium. We have the second uh, largest stadium in the league. Uh, to Dallas? Uh, no, uh, behind uh, MetLife. Oh, MetLife is the arch. Dallas, uh, Dallas um, I think they their manifest is less than ours, and, but on a game-by-game -game basis they can do, they, they sell quite a few standing room only or, or different seats. The, uh, speaking of the revenues, the, you know, I know this, you know this better than most, <clears throat> the Packers refinancials every year. Always a, always brought up by the union and the league. The union saying, "Look at Little Green Bay, what they're making." Yeah, just you know, just, what do you think those teams yeah, imagine, in Chicago, New York? Yeah, are making? imagine what the Patriots are making. <laughs> and then on the league side, we'll say, "Well, that's Green Bay. Yeah, they're unique. No one's like them." So now that you're part of it, <clears throat> when that comes out every year, I know I always got calls from agents like, "I can tell you how to yeah. spend your money." Yeah. But uh, how do you? How do you? You know, with these big numbers, it's going up every year. Profits going up. Total revenue, I believe, is over four hundred million this yeah. year. Mm -hmm. Astounding numbers for the league, which shows the Packers are healthy, and by extrapolation, the league is very healthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, you want to revel in that, but you don't want to gloat and you don't want to get complacent. Sure. Yeah, and we try to be, as a matter of fact, and honest right. with our. Uh, obviously, we have to be honest. We've got, uh, you know, but you're right. It's it's a. Uh, it's a time where it's, we're very unique, and yeah. uh, it's the one t one one time in the year where you get a peek into the NFL finances. The only team, yeah, <laughs> but which uh, upsets the union. <laughs> right? And uh, yeah, you know, I mean, you're right. I mean, knock on wood, uh, we're we're you know just past the middle of a collective bargaining agreement that's really served the league well, and I think the players too. I mean, we've. We've done well, uh, and, it, and having a long-term agreement has allowed us, uh, for us, for instance, our uh, gate sponsorships, right. uh, you know, we've been able to enter into long-term agreements with sponsors, knowing that they don't have to worry about uh, any type of uh, labor situation. And then at the league level, you know, long-term agreements with the broadcast right, networks yeah. have worked well and league sponsors. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a very positive time. And... Uh, yeah, you know, it's 
But I think we've got three, we've this year and then three more years left right. on the collective bar agreement. And, and you were part of the CBA negotiations in 011? Yeah. And yeah. will you, yeah, you can comment on that, and yeah. will you be part of the next one? Yeah, yeah, I'm on, the, it's called the Management Council Executive right. Committee, the CEC. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it, it is interesting, you know, uh, I think a lot of people look at it and say, geez, Mark, you know, you're on one side and now on the other, right. and now you're on the other, but it's not like I just switched sides. There was 20, 25 years <laughs> in between there right. where I did a lot of other different things. But uh, I, do, I think my experience as a player is, is helpful. And, and not not just as a player, but particularly my experience uh, with the Players Association as a player rep and, yeah. then, uh, and then actually working for the union uh, has been really valuable. And, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, it's it's they're very different times. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you look you look back to when you started. Uh, yeah. You know, the the game has changed. Uh, players uh, players are, are quite a bit different. Uh, but you know, I, at the core, though, I think you know that's the players are. Uh, you know, it's, it's still it's a very short career; it doesn't right. last long. And some of the things that the union and the clubs and the league can do for the players to help them help them, uh, particularly with the transition away from football, I think can be valuable. And you look at the collective bargaining agreement; there's a lot of financial resources, programs, like programs and uh, you know, retirement annuities. Uh, you know that. Which are great, but again, it goes, you know, the, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, I talk to a lot of players, and uh, a lot of them say, you know, that my goal is that uh, I, I want to never have to work again. Right. And, well, first of all, I, I don't think that's really, <laughs> well, first of all, good luck with that. That's not, that's not right. gonna, probably not going to happen. And they'll get bored. But even right. if you may, do make enough money, you know, you have to have a purpose in your life, right. and you've got to have something. So, Helping the players find that, you know, what's that next thing they go on to? Because, you know, I mean, the adverse career is yeah. three, three years. So, and you're in and out, and uh, you really need to, the more you can plan and think about and do in your off seasons, even during the season, you, know, you can do things to, to help yourself, uh, you know, be prepared for when the career ends. And I understand it. I think players, I think some players are concerned that, you know, if I start focusing on the end of my career and what's yeah. going to happen, uh, it's going to affect my uh, ability, my performance on the field. I, I don't buy that, but I, I know there are some players no, I that know. feel that way. No. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about these fast careers. Here we are. I'm back here after eight years, and the only players on the team mm-hmm. from my time are Aaron and uh, Mason Crosby. Yeah. Kicker so, and quarterback. Yeah, <laughs> kicker and quarterback. They're the longevity. So out there listening, that's what you want to play. <laughs> Tell your kids that, to play. Yeah. Especially kicker. They're running backs, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, with the money, well, I want to, on the bargaining, you were around with Gene Upshaw. Yeah. You with the yeah. whole upshaw Tagliabue relationship, and now you're seeing something very different, obviously, with mm-hmm. new leadership on, not new, but with Goodell now 10 years in and, D. Smith, eight years in. Uh, just comments on that. I think it's no secret that yeah. Tagliabue and Upshot had a close relationship, and it's no secret that Goodell and Smith mm-hmm. do not. Um, and you've seen it from both sides. Yeah, um, you're right. Um, yeah, well, first of all, I mean, Gene was pretty exceptional in yeah. that, um, you know, he, the, his background as a player, uh, he'd kind of seen things from uh, so many different perspectives. 
And, you know, I, I should say, I owe, I owe an awful lot to Gene. I mean, yeah. He gave me my first job uh, after my playing career ended, kind of got me started in, uh, in my next career, and really, uh, you know, helped me kind of make it through uh, what was kind of a challenging time for me. So I thank him. And, you know, um, you know and, and it's, it's difficult. And I think for a union leader to get close to a commissioner or management – um, and, but I think Gene was confident enough and strong enough that, and he would look at things. And I, I think you know he obviously was a union leader and he was strong. But I think he also looked at things from a player's perspective. Right. And you know, particularly when when players screwed up, uh, he was willing to hold them accountable. And you know, I, I give Paul credit too. I mean, you know, it's it's both both people were willing to to take the risk of uh, having a good relationship with each other. And I think in the long run, you know, the beneficiaries were, you know, <laughs> the owners, the players. It was, and you know, people can say, well, the, you know, the, the agreement was favored players or management, but reality is they had a long stretch of labor right. piece that was was good for the game and allowed it to grow. Yeah, it's interesting. We're here on nine eleven, actually, just the the date that we're here recording, and I remember vividly being here with both Gene and Paul lost people. Close to them, yeah, mm-hmm. which is very sad even to talk about. But what it actually did was it made their relationship stronger. Mm-hmm. It made their relationship stronger on yeah. a personal level. They both lost people on nine eleven, and I think what exactly you said that ended up being helpful to both sides. Yeah, yeah. Well, you just got on the side. Uh, yeah, put a plug in. Paul should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's just you know for what he did for the game, and you know you may not know this. I, I owe. I probably wouldn't be in my position now were not for Paul. Really? So uh, Paul was a young attorney. Uh, Covington, Covington Burling. Burling when uh, in the negotiations in 1982. Also happened to be a Redskins season ticket holder. Mm-hmm. Georgetown. So, so yeah. uh, Paul and I, even though we are on opposite sides, uh, struck up a friendship. And uh, we kept in touch over the years. And I believe it was when I was the athletic director at Colgate he uh, was named commissioner, and shortly after that, he called me up and said, Mark, I want to get you back involved with the league, huh. uh, put me on a player advisory committee, ended up putting me on the Youth Football Fund, which is now USA Football, and uh, so that, that, you know, it was a good lesson for me that, and you remember those those times and those negotiations, those were very difficult, and um, so, you know, the, to be able to to build a bridge with somebody on the other side rather than uh, burn one was yeah. uh, really, really beneficial to me uh, in the long run. And so, uh, but not just for that reason, but <laughs> Paul, for a lot of reasons, Paul deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He did a lot of great things for, for the yeah. game of football. Yeah, labor peace, you talked about it. And, you know, labor peace is involved more than just having an agreement. It's an ability to talk through things. Sure, because all I, kinds of issues yeah. come up. I mean, you know that. I mean, you've got... Look at the you know the Zico Elliott yeah. now the Deflate Gate. Yeah. I mean, there's always things coming up, and um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's it's kind of a shame that we're at a point now where everything ends up being resolved by yeah. the courts rather than you know uh, ourselves. And you know, and, the, and the, these are private matters. These aren't right. matters that should be. Uh, yeah, I mean, litigated. we're both lawyers. It's supposed to stay in the system, but somehow it's getting out of the system. <laughs> You know, in yeah, terms the only of, ones that are winning in this are the lawyers. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> my saying about there will be lawyers. And, no. Um, threats going ahead. I mean, we are at, 
I always say these are salad days for the NFL with prosperity. I know you don't take it complacently, obviously. No. Uh, but uh, threats ahead in your mind, and obvious points that people bring up are Oh, yeah. Well, no, you know, no question of mine. The biggest threat is uh, concerns about the health and safety of the game. But, you know, I, I think we've always had that. I think the biggest threat to me now is concussions. And uh, particularly, you know, some of the some of the studies that have come out. Um, and it's, it's I think uh, it's, it's a challenging time for the league. Uh, although, as you said, I mean, you know, ratings are high. Yeah. The revenue is high. Um, but you know this this could this could really hurt the long term uh, future of the league. So I think how we handle it, um, and we're taking some hits in the in the media now. I mean, New York Times, I think particularly, uh, has mm-hmm. really focused on on this, um, and, and you know it affects the league in a number of ways. Uh, I think long term participation in the game, uh, our parents going to you know right. be less. And we've seen a little bit of it, although I, I think USA Football is doing a good job in terms of uh, the heads-up football program, the rookie tackle, uh, you know, and encouraging people to play transition into tackle by starting with uh, flag football, going to rookie tackle, and now tackle. Um, and you know, I, I think the, the the rules changes we've made over the last ten years. I think there have been fifty safety-related right. changes. So it's not like we're not responding to it. Um, it's just it's a long-term issue. And so it's it's participation. Um, and then, you know, the other thing, the reality is if you if you played football, you're much more likely to become an avid fan. So mm-hmm. if there's less people out there that are playing the game um, you know, down the road, that, that that's going to affect uh, – it, it can affect the game. You know, you don't want to overstate it, but uh, – we don't want to become boxing, right? You know, which you know, um, you know, you're a little younger than me, but you know, the, in the '60s, '50s, '60s, '70s, you know, boxing was, you know, a major sport, and uh, it's now it's kind of become a fringe sport, and I think primarily because of concerns about the, the safety of, the, of yeah. boxing. What do you do? You talked about all the changes you've made, and yeah. I think the NFL, especially with the off seasons now, and you know, they have less practice contact than high school or college. Yeah. Uh, I guess the question is the well, ultimate. I think that, you know, what the, the league is really kind of serving as a model right. for. Because you see a lot. The NCAA kind of makes a change, same as we do, and we're looking at the same thing. Right. No more two-a-days. We only, uh, you only hit uh, one day one day a week in pads. Yeah, it's uh, like 14 for the yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. I joke, uh, Vince Lombardi's rolling over in his grave. I saw this. <laughs> yeah, well, we're used but to it, practice. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's when I think, uh, when I went through in training camp with George Allen, I mean, it was like a death march. It was just, it was brutal. I mean, we had, you know, two full practices a day, both in pads, then a walkthrough, and he didn't believe in water breaks. Oh. And the thought at the time was that it weakened you. And, I mean, every, you know, trainer and doctor would say, you know, you need to stay hydrated, but, you know, and so we, <laughs> it was, uh, it, it's it's much better. I think the game in so many different ways is probably safer now yeah. than it's ever been. Um, yeah, I, I mean, kind of looking back on it, uh, Andrew, what I would say, I you know, I don't know if it was through the 90s, but there was a time period there where I think 
the league got caught up in. You remember the feel the power and yeah, they were, they were the celebrating up. the big hits. Yes, jacked, jacked up. up and yeah, they allow and and they have they allowed players to use the helmet as a weapon. Yeah, and I think now what you're seeing is we're kind of trying to change that culture. Way. And uh, you know, I think it's all for the good. Yeah. And, you know, so in, in terms of concussions, obviously the you know there's concerns about the big hits. The the other issue, particularly for um, you know, I'd say uh, offensive and defensive linemen, maybe linebackers, uh, fullbacks, it's the repetitive right. sub-concussive blows. Right. That uh, was that CT study yeah, at BU. Yeah, right? yeah. So that you know, and I think that's where you know limiting the number of padded practices right. is, is going to be very helpful in the long run. But the ultimate question, can you make an inherently violent game safe? You can make it safer. safer. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, and that I don't know if that's a worry or I think from a fan point of view, we're kind of drawn to the violence. We we complain. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what that was what made the made football in the NFL so exciting. And uh, but, you know, I mean, the game's so exciting. We've got great athletes. Some of the things that they're able to do on the field is just it's a great television product and the NFL is great at marketing it. You know, I I think um, what's been lost in all this is, and and this is really looking at it from the players or the participants' uh, involvement in it, just how valuable it is. I mean, the lessons that you can learn Mm -hmm. from it. And, you know, I was fortunate I worked almost 17 years as an athletic director, and and you can learn lessons from all sports. But football, because of the nature of the game, and particularly the team aspect, it's it's pretty unique, uh, and those lessons uh, about you know teamwork and discipline and dedication and you know getting back mm-hmm. up after you get knocked down, right? Um, th- th- those are really valuable, um, you know, for for the participants, and that's why you know there have been studies. You know, so many uh, so many football players and athletes more generally go on to leadership positions yeah. in the government, companies, and uh, so you know I know. Uh, so many, so many parents are just focused on the risk rather than looking at the the bigger picture. And uh, yes, there is risk in football, but you know we're trying to minimize it and make it as safe as possible. And uh, yeah, but it's it's difficult because yeah. uh, you know the study, you know, 110 or 111, yeah. you know, I had CTE, and you know I don't want to be critical of it, but those are kind of self-selected. Yeah. And so... No, I did the podcast mm-hmm. with that group. And yeah. They admitted to that. Oh, yeah. No, that's... But they did talk about the youth aspect that you did. Yeah. Where, you know, if you're working on a skyscraper, 38th floor steel worker, you're not taking your kid to work. Uh, and I guess what you talked about is the progression from... Yeah. Touch Start, to flag yeah. to yeah. rookie, whatever it is. I think that's a lesson we can learn. Yeah. Last thing on the concussions, you talked about the Allen era, what you went through. Yeah. And you must have former peers that are now suffering. Uh, yeah. And all the stories about dementia and issues they may have. People come to me, should I sue? What do I do? You know, that, that has to be tough for yeah. you to see. It, it, no, there's no question. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but it runs a gamut. I've got teammates all that are doing all kinds of things, and they're, they're active, and... Um, you know, I, I, to me, I think the the best thing any former player can do is, you know, you gotta you gotta stay active physically and mm-hmm. mentally, and uh, you know, take care of yourself. And uh, but I, I there's no I think all of us are worried. Yeah. Uh, you know, you read some of those studies, and uh, you, you you really you, you do wonder about it because uh, I think 
Although, you know, it's kind of a funny story. I uh, did not have any concussions in the NFL. I had two at Colgate. I had a lousy old helmet. Mm. It was uh, what they called a suspension helmet. I mean, hardly any protection at all. Mm. So uh, my wife said, well, you, well, a concussion's a concussion. If you got it in college, <laughs> just because you didn't get any in the NFL doesn't mean that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I, you can really see, because uh, back when I was playing, it was, I mean, we knew concussions were not a good thing, but it was just an, another injury. I mean, it wasn't yeah. – uh, you never thought that, oh, my gosh, this is going to affect me long term. Yeah. And that's – you know, I, I feel for our players now. And, uh, you know, when, when, you, when they get concussions or multiple concussions, you can see they – you know, they love to play the game, but they're really worried about yeah, their future. And they're conflicted, yeah. 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 Last couple of things, you know, with the divisiveness of the country now, we're obviously mm-hmm. in polarizing times. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever you want to comment on this, the whole Kaepernick mm-hmm. issue, and is it is it a reflection of a of a deeper division in the country that not necessarily should apply to football? But the fact that he's not signed, obviously, is just going to weigh and weigh yeah. and weigh. And every quarterback mm-hmm. injury is, you know, do you guys talk about this at the league leadership level at all? Does it come up? Well, uh, not particularly as it relates to uh, to uh, Kaepernick, but you know, we do talk about. Uh, you know the protests, and obviously, um, right. you know, quite a bit has happened. Uh, you know, last year and this year, and um, I, it's a tough issue for the league. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I hear from a lot of, particularly our shareholders, but you know, uh, maybe Vietnam veterans, uh, military people. They're really very disappointed that uh, people are disrespecting the flag. And right. uh, I mean, the reality is that you know our players, it's their they're right. I mean, they, uh, and yes, you, we obviously we'd love it if, you know, they all stood. And, uh, you know, I think our head coach, Mike McCarthy does a great job and he's been doing this for years, talking to the players about the history of the national anthem and, right. uh, why, uh, why people, uh, why it's important to stand, but somebody wants to, um, you know, make a decision to kneel or, you know, some, some type of set of protest on their own. Um, you re- you you know that if if we said no you can't do it that it would probably yeah. be <laughs> a lawsuit so I, I think uh, that's kind of the balance yeah. that, uh, that we've all tried to achieve and you know I I, I have great respect for our players and, yeah. you know um, you know for this uh, in our first game of the year you know Michael Bennett has been right. one of the players who was uh, uh, sat uh, during the national anthem and you know his brother now uh, Martellus yeah, is on our team and uh, so. <laughs> You know, he decided to just hold his hand up and, uh, and his fist up in support of his brother. And, you know, I mean, I, I, very, I understood that, and I thought that was, uh, you know, uh, for him, that was something that was really important to him to support his brother. And, you know, you can't really, you know, say, no, you can't do that. that was, at least that was our sense of yeah. it. Yeah. And I think on the Kaepernick thing, I just have said this, and you can, re- you can respond we're in a divisive society, as I said. One extreme is he's being blackballed. I don't dis- I don't agree with that. Yeah. The other side, do I think he is being judged on more than football? Absolutely. Uh, so there's a pendulum. Yeah. And uh, people are making their decisions best for their team, and everyone has their reasons. Yeah. No, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I I've never heard anything talked about. At Nothing the collusive. Level. No, no, yeah. no, and. Uh, 
yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's just it's a shame that it's come to this. And you're right, it's 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 a bigger issue than just yeah. the NFL. It's a societal issue. I mean, what happened in Charlottesville and some of the things we're seeing yeah. is uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, well, it's. And I've talked. It's hard to, Aaron. to believe. It's, <laughs> it's hard to believe. 2017. It's hard to believe. Yeah. And I talked to Aaron about it, and he was very, you know, how Aaron is, extremely yeah. thoughtful and introspective about it. And the one thing that Aaron has said to me on multiple occasions is that he knows when he speaks, it's bigger yeah. than him. Yeah. It's the team. It's the community. It's yeah. the Packer Nation. It's all yeah. of Wisconsin. Uh, so he feels the great responsibility in what he says. Oh, and he's, he's, I mean, he's well, you know, Aaron. I mean, he's, he is a tremendous uh, representative yeah. of the Packers. And my wife jokes that it's a good thing he's the face of the franchise, not me. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he, uh, yeah, and, and, I mean, I, I have heard from a lot of fans about Aaron's comments that, you know, uh, why do you do that? And what's right. he doing that for? And, uh, you know, my view, he was just stating his opinion. Yeah. I mean, he didn't do, he didn't kneel, he didn't sit down. He just said uh, that in his mind, uh, the protest had something to do yep. with, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick not playing. Yeah. May have something to do, may also have something to do with it. Kaepernick beat us twice in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, it was kryptonite for the yeah. Packers for oh. those three years. <laughs> yeah. Last question, I guess, we're speaking of Aaron. You know, again, you and I, I more than you, lived through the transition yeah. from uh, Brett to Aaron and how, for lack of a better word, fortunate yeah. this franchise has been. You probably <laughs> got to be thinking about, what, as we were thinking about what happens after Brett, yeah. you've got to be thinking about what happens after Aaron and the future of this franchise. How much does that come up? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you're right. I mean, well, hopefully uh, there's, a know, long there's way still some more good yeah. years left. But, uh, yeah, we're very fortunate. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it was right after you left. That was a difficult time. Yeah, you know, when, exactly. When Brett uh, retired and then changed his mind. And, uh, you know, that was a very difficult time for our organization. And that was my first year. So that was kind of my yeah. welcome, right to, away. <laughs> welcome to the Hello. Packers and the yeah. NFL. But uh, looking back on it, you know, it really forced Ted and Mike and I to, to you know, work very closely together. Yeah. We were all on the same page. And, um, you know, we learned a valuable lesson, you know, that, you know, when, if you're going to replace an iconic uh, Hall of Fame quarterback, yeah. it's really good to have Aaron Rodgers to replace him. <laughs> it's really good to replace him with an iconic Hall of Fame well, you and you were there. I mean, we thought Aaron would be good, but oh yeah, nobody thought he yeah. would be what he is now. Yeah. Well, I was. I, mean, we ho- I guess we hoped three but. years. <laughs> yeah, we saw him, and he was a favorite of ours from the beginning. Yeah. Not that Brett wasn't, but just uh, just the way he was magnetic. And, you know, I uh, I you have to give Ted credit. I mean, uh, the pressure to win and win now is yeah. always so so strong and. You know, to have the foresight to to take <laughs> I Aaron, remember that to room. take Aaron when uh, you had Brett Favre. Yeah. Uh, that was a it yeah. was a difficult, probably you know, in the long one of the better decisions that have been yeah. made in the history of this franchise. I'll never forget it. We were in a room right next to where we're talking, and we heard the booze. Yeah, downstairs yeah. in the draft party. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like why didn't you take a guy that's going to help us like this year, or next year? Yeah. Uh, Mark, it's been great. Uh, good to catch up. Good to get back with you here at my old stomping grounds. See you over the past. Yeah, well, don't be a stranger. Keep, uh, you're always welcome back. Uh, always happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.